I'm Scott Jones. Turn it up. I'm Bill Bohr. <laughs> Wild Bill Bohr. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Bill, you should have on your vest and your cowboy hat. Or... You know, I've heard it. I told. I think I told you this on the phone. The uh, father of the person who runs our daycare at church I fa- is involved in this thing. I, I think I'm going to go and start it. They actually, it's a bunch of old guys, which are older than me. But you know, I, I could, there's you know, there's no good time to wait, so I should start. But at any rate. <clears throat> They dress up like cowboys and didn't do gun tricks and like have target shooting and draw and things like that. I'm so, I'm so into that. I'm gonna... This will be, if you do that, this is going to become a solo podcast. <laughs> that and Dancing with the Stars. Those no, are... I'm going to Dancing with the Stars. Well, I mean. I would be on Dancing with the Stars. All right. Well, if you do Dancing with the Stars, because the thing is, I can go hang out with old cowboys. Because I'm not a star. It's an upgrade. For most people, it's a downgrade. But for me, it would be an upgrade. By the way, and and Scott recently threw my name out there as a potential senatorial, senatorial candidate. And I would just enjoy uh, spending 12 months touring the state of Pennsylvania making fun of Pat Toomey. That would, that yeah, would, that mean, would give me great joy to do that. We so. don't really have—I mean, neither of our senators is really, I would say, a line of the Senate. I well, mean, I like Casey. Casey's a nice guy, but he's, he's not really no, a— he's, he's not. He's not a— Mover and a shaker. No, I mean he's um, his father was a was I think an amazing man. Oh yeah, yeah, but uh, but he's a good man. Yeah, no, he, yeah, I I like Casey. Yeah, but you much wanna, better you know, than our, our junior senator, which who was who was <sighs> it's not worth a, no, not uh, worth a lot. No, well, he's worth a lot financially. Financially, yes, yes, and with this tax cut, he's going to be worth even more that he helped write. So good for you. Oh, he also wrote the wonderful help write the wonderful uh, health bill at the Senate. Uh, that was going to take health care from lots of people. So he's just he's just an all around beautiful soul. I think I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I might get a. I looked at the. I looked at all these charts to see what my tax break is going to be, and I don't think it's going to be. I don't yeah, know. I don't think we're. I don't think it was aimed at us. But uh, anyway, trickle down economics. So um, you drink a Coors Light, then something trickles down later. <laughs> Not a big process. I mean, I tell trickle you, down. Coors Light. Why even bother? So Je- Brother Ooh. Jeff put something on his Facebook. What's the real definition of faith? I said supply side economics. It believes. <laughs> It requires belief in something miraculously absurd. I actually wrote on Brother Jeff's uh, Facebook page the other day. Did anybody respond? He did. He did. Yeah. And I went back. You get a lot of action when you when you post. I I don't get as much usually. That's because I say bizarre. You're controversial. A little bit. You're a provocateur. A provocateur. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the recent election in Alabama, where 100,000 people turned out. Right. It was fifty. That was the vote tally at fifty thousand to fifty. I thought it was more than that. Was it more than that? Uh, I think it was more than that. Let me look. I'm looking. I thought it was like 50-some thousand to 50-some thousand. Maybe. Uh, no, I think it's a lot more than that. All right. Final totals. No, because he... he Final election. No, oh, yeah. 500,000. 500,000. Yeah, I mean, Sorry. Five, 500,000. Over a million 000. people voted. Yeah, yeah, I'm over a million. Sorry. 500. So so we're talking 500, a million people. Mm-hmm. Sorted by... I voted four times. So. Final election <laughs> tallies. <laughs> uh, Alabama. So this was 500... Some thousand, or 600, sorry, 1,200, 1.2 million. 
Doug Jones got 671,151 votes. Warren Moore got 650,436. So, and 22,819 write-ins. That's a lot of write-ins. Well, there was a lot of people who did not. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there were people who, there are people who never are going to press D in Alabama, could never vote for a Democrat. Do you think you could win a local election if you should put your, a year into it, like really put in lots of hustle, elbow grease, and just said, write me in door to door every day? It would depend. It would depend on what, who you're running against. I mean, there's like, uh, you know, for instance, I mean, I was in Delaware County, which, uh, of, which was, it's been, you know, there's been books written about the Republican machine in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, suburb of Philadelphia prior to when I moved here. And, um, I mean, there were, you know, there was a while where, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't break through that. Now they just had a pretty remarkable, um, county election last fall where Democrats actually took over the the county seats. Yeah, which is unheard (laughs) of. And, you know, that's part of the problem, you know. We tend to be less interested in local elections, but so much gets dictated um, by what those local governments. Well, this is why, like, the Republicans have a pretty solid control of national government, but don't. When you do the demographics and the polling, they're not a majority, and and like lose popular votes even the presidential elections, but they control redistricting. Yeah, they control the district drawing and things like that, gerrymandering and all these things. So, Bill, what's the there's many, many, many takes we could have yeah. on this election. Well, first of all, you know, uh, again, and we probably have engaged in some of this, and certainly on social media and in the national discussions, a lot of this, a lot of, you know, um, talk about how the evangelicals were supporting more. And, you know, we even, I mean, I, you know, we've had colleagues who have said this is the end of Christianity, you know, all kinds of things on Facebook. But the truth of the matter is that it, most likely it was Christians who helped Jones win the election. Right. I mean, you, you, it's interesting. I was thinking about this. I was going to ask you historically for a parallel because you had two groups of conservative Christians. Yes. Uh, it, it's really interesting. Uh, the CNN religion editor whose name escapes me, but I think I put this in my little queue here. Um, his name is Daniel Burke. Mm-hmm. He was saying that that um, eight in 10 white evangelicals cast their vote for Roy Moore, which is about the same as Donald, as did for Donald Trump in the 2016 recent election. Um, but he said, uh, you know, th- but, you know, overwhelmingly, I mean, I think Doug Jones got 95% of the black vote. He said nearly... He states that, according to Pew Research Center, nearly 15% of black Americans are themselves evangelicals, though a majority, 53%, attend historically black Protestant denominations. So you have, you know, they're not, they're in more, they self-identify as evangelical, even if their denominations don't. And more than 80% um, say they believe in God and attend church at least once or twice a month. And three in four say religion is very important, which makes them one of the most um, devoutly religious groups. And also... Um, African-Americans are also more likely than white Christians to blend religion and politics in church, according to a Pew study last year. Nearly 60% said clergy at their house of worship had encouraged the congregation to vote in the general election for president. And half said the same about the presidential primaries. Uh, That's a higher percentage than any other group, including white evangelicals. Where African-American churchgoers differ, though, is in the political issues they're likely to talk about in church. White evangelicals were more likely to discuss religious liberty, abortion, and homosexuality. Black churches, too, talked about homosexuality. 39% uh, told Pew that they had heard clergy mention the issue, but they were also more, far more likely to talk about economic inequality and environmental issues. Well, first of all, historically, the church was one place where African-Americans had some autonomy and could talk about such things. Yeah. So the fact is that it's changed, but still houses of worship 
both uh, Christian and Muslim are the centers in a lot of the African-American community, whether it be urban or rural. And so there's a sense where, I mean, it's been a matter of survival for the African-American community and the religious community to organize around that. The other thing I think is important, I mean, I've taught over the years, probably over half my students I've taught, whether at Palmer or now at New Brunswick, are um, African-American or or, um, Africans or from South America or whatever. And the vast majority of those folks are what we would say in terms of doctrinal issues more conservative. They would be people who would talk like evangelicals around personal salvation, the need to live a Christian life, things like prayer. Matter of fact, in terms of... um, you know, and a lot of times the vitality of their spiritual lives are much more dynamic than, than you know, your, your average white evangelical, in part because, you know, there's a sense where, I mean, I, I grew up— I, Let's shorthand define evangelical real fast. Like, like, All right, you go I mean, first. Alistair McGrath in his book about evangelicalism, I don't know why I'm citing McGrath as authority, but why not? It comes to, as good as anybody. First one came to your mind? I, I remember a couple of things were like, Believing that G- everybody needs Jesus, like Jesus is a universal truth, and, right. and the call to evangelize, to to personally invite others to faith in Jesus, a, a, a very high view of the Bible as yeah, the final authority for faith in life, uh, a view that faith has to be personal, like you can't, you no, know, you could be baptized as an infant and still be an evangelical, right? Like, you know, but but you have to, it somehow has to, there has to be a personal it's owning all, of yeah. your commitment connection to Jesus. It used to be called a hard faith. Hard faith. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's scripture, centrality of the Bible, personal relationship with Christ, a heartfelt faith. Uh, and I think often the call to some kind of Christian living. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is, in some sense, this is where you could say evangelicalism is a kind of ecumenical movement and that it, it, it brings together people. Let those people would all know that that they share those things very quickly talking with one another, even though they might go to very different kinds of churches and worship very differently and have d- different sort of liturgical expressions, religious cultures, but those things would would bind them. Yeah, and the roots of evangelicalism always were kind of ecumenical, whether you look at pietism, continental pietism, or revivalism in this country. It was something that crossed denominational uh, traditional lines in the Second Great Awakening, you could say, both helped some denominations explode and blew up other denominations. So, yeah, it's always had a kind of ecumenical. And so many, um, you know, there were so many volunteer organizations and special organizations that grew out of evangelicalism, these, you know, organizations of affinity, whether it be the Sunday School Association, Temperance Movement, you know, uh, the Abolitionist Movement had a, had a uh, it certainly had a liberal bent to it in some, but there was an awful lot of evangelical sentiment, you know, Finney and, and those like him were very much important leaders in the abolition movement. So the fact is, and, and, and actually up until the 1920s or 19-teens, when we got into the fundamentalist modernist debate, uh, you would not be able to see a whole lot of difference between the social conscience of someone who would be an evangelical or someone who would be more in a more liberal progressive group. I mean, if you went to the worst urban areas in the late uh, 19th century, you might see a social gospel movement on one corner and a gospel, you know, a gospel light temple somewhere else. I mean, in other words, the call to be concerned with the poor and the oppressed was something that was shared equally by evangelicals, Salvation Army, all those, you know, gospel missions, uh, as well as you know, people that eventually became known as the social gospel. So, and in, in, in around all those things, so in many ways, when African-American people with 
evangelical convictions are talking about social justice, it's not only something they're being true to their own community, but they're actually closer to a lot of the evangelical tradition, whether we're talking about Jonathan Edwards or, or John Wesley, than many of the folks who use their evangelicalism to reaffirm a kind of cultural conservatism that, that doesn't engage itself with issues of justice and such. So, why, okay, so the story told yesterday, by and large, although, again, there are notable exceptions, like Denny Well, you Bur- called every Christian you know in Alabama, all right, or every person you know in Alabama, they're all they Christians. All, and they're all Christians. None and, of them supported Roy Moore. Right, so, I mean, right. in some levels, I think uh, the courage of conviction and, you know, the people I know from Alabama, a student of mine, you know, he was actively, um, a former student of mine, he was actively calling people to go roll tide and don't vote for more. I mean, but, so... Well, it's interesting, though. You, no one tells us the story of a... An election where it was, one could argue, largely decided by conservative Christians. And, you know, like a a group of black conservative Christians uh, with other mostly Christian people, though I'm sure some secular white I mean, I think Doug Jones got 27% or something of the white vote, a lot of which were female. So you have like a a group of um, one side of conservative Christians who are largely white uh, voting for Roy Moore, although not all of them did. I mean, and, and, you know, a a slither of that 27% of the white vote didn't go for Roy Moore, included conservative evangelical Christians and others. Right. In a coalition with ninety five percent of the black vote, who are overwhelmingly people of faith, people of faith, and and of a again a, a kind of conservative traditional faith. Yeah. So it, it's very interesting that that's not, or, or it's interesting too that this term values voter. You know, who the hell is not a values voter? Right. Everyone right. has values. Just right. what kind of. I feel like when they call values voters people that go to the polls to vote around issues of abortion or definition of marriage or things like that. But I mean, everyone's a values voter. Yeah, no, I mean, my opposition to the tax plan uh, is a values opposition. It's not, it really, it's not about my own personal page or my own personal check. It's more about the kind of things that are going to have to be done to cut, you know, the, the failure to support the common good. So, yeah, I, I, I right. I think most people. Well, again, I don't know what value, what what it would have to take for it to not become a values issue for me. But they, well, I'm not in the right bracket for that. But I'm just thinking, yeah, what, would no. it, what would it be? Well, for the 800 bucks, it's not worth it. But, <laughs> yeah, but which I'm allegedly going. I don't think I'm going to really get that. But like, that's what I'm from. I'm promised. I think the things I, and maybe an extra 800 bucks. But I, again, okay, now. What we just, the demographic you just described points to a particular problem in a large segment of the white evangelical community. I mean, the fact is it wasn't, you know, you can still say that there were a majority of white evangelicals who supported Roy Moore. But uh, again, I think that, uh, you know, commentators of all different political ink uh, were talking about, or we're talking about this kind of, you know, from the outside, it looks different. You know, there is a kind of, you know, try to understanding understanding Alabama in its own context is something that, you know, we certainly would want that to be done for all of us. And so we have to understand that there's a whole dimension of this <clears throat> that is probably something that only makes sense for people in Alabama. Having said that, um, Moore is, you know, was it was a remarkably um, not a particular strong or popular candidate for the Republican Party. Yet he he won. You know he won. So I mean it's kind of like we were critical of what the Democrats gave us. I, I, again, I think going back to Toomey, I think of all the people ran to to run against Toomey, we end up electing the or we 
chose the weakest one in the primary, and she only lost by, you know, what, 50, 40,000 votes, I don't remember. And I think, you know, it, it didn't take, you know, we we were not Hillary Clinton supporters, and we think the Democratic Party is partially uh, significantly responsible. Are you speaking for me? We, well, we did talk. I, I authorize you. I'm just making sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I gave you my. I gave you access to my Facebook. I did. Page. I did. I did. So no, but I'm saying we, you know, you know, a little bit of the Democratic Party has to own the fact of the kind of campaign it ran in 2016, and also uh, the candidate it ultimately put up. So I think you know that the weakness of the candidate and is a is a part of the I guess culture in Alabama as well at this current state. But anyway, I think. Although it's interesting, like like Doug Jones. So the political gods just line up sometimes because Doug Jones almost lost that primary to Robert Kennedy, who no one heard of. And he made a lot of mistakes. I mean, you don't start out a campaign in Alabama by going to MSNBC and supporting late-term abortion. I mean, and, that's well, just, you know, he, he, he's honest. Yeah, well, but, I know, but that's, that's – and I think that's – well, you and I maybe – I, I think that's a morally – problematic position. Uh, and I think if the Democratic Party would not, could be just a little more, you know, could be a little more flexibility for some of us who have pro-life sympathies. Uh, it's one of the reasons, you know, the Democratic Party used to be the party of progressive Catholics. It's, it's hard to do that sometimes with some of the extreme positions they take. So, and also, I, I want to just point something. I have many, many thoughts, and this might be a long episode, longer than I thought, but I want to say to you, like, that in the exit polls... It looks like. Let me see here. Um, Can I be a political pundit? And yeah. one of the things we know about exit polls is they're always they're not, wrong. <laughs> yeah. Although, if you look at the exit polls yesterday, when I looked at them at five o'clock, it, it pointed to a pretty close race, yeah, it and, and it no, shook no, out. I mean, it did. It did. I mean, people, maybe people were actually honest. Yeah. But so, of Alabama Senate voters, with regards to the allegations of sexual misconduct against Moore, uh, thir- only thirteen percent thought they were either four percent thought they were definitely true and voted for him anyway. Nine percent thought they were probably true. Fifty-four percent said probably false, and twenty-eight percent said definitely false. So here you have—I mean, the vast majority of people that turned out at least told themselves right that these allegations were false. Now we could we could say that this is a fake news issue or a self-sorting issue, kind of you know that we all self-select right. the news sources we take seriously and ones we look at less credibly. So mm-hmm. at least—I mean, now thirteen percent were honest about thinking they were probably true and voted anyway. And this is kind of, as you, you told me, it's the Purdue argument, right? That, that it takes a tough man to make a tender chicken. Right. So, and I never looked at Frank Purdue as tough, but, but I think though, is it? Actually, he, he was ruthless. Oh, uh, all right. That's what I heard. He was actually ruthless. Yeah. All right. Well, you don't, you know, I guess he's the captain of industry. So, but I, I wonder to what degree that's always an issue, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if no candidate is perfect. Right. You know, Luther said, you know, I'd rather have, if I was, you know, deathly ill, I'd rather have a a Turkish, by which he meant Muslim, you know, a Muslim surgeon than a Christian butcher. And (laughs) I mean, mean, so uh, at what degree do you, is this inevitable uh, that if you're voting on certain sense of ideals and principles that the messenger, to what degree can how much lack of congruity between messenger and message bends and then right. how much breaks. So, I mean, yeah. these are, and apparently at least most of the people in the exit poll thir- for 13% of the people, that was a problem. Like, yeah. okay, I'm voting for him, but because yeah. of the message, even though there's, I think probably a tragically criminally flawed messenger, but for the vast majority, the other 87% of people that voted for him, they did not see it that way. 
uh, and, and by the way, in the early 16th century, you would have rather had a Turkish surgeon over a Christian surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Period. <laughs> what about China? Uh, no, I think I would go with the Turkish in the 16th century. I'd go with the Turkish surgeon. I'm going to research that. All right, you research that. All right. Any More of you? useless knowledge. <laughs> Things which... By the way, if any of my students are, I, I'm so tired. No, that's not going to be on the final. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so, yeah. Never so, say that. So tired of asking. Tune, it's when they tune out. It's I'm all so, on the final. I'm so tired of answering those questions. Anyway, so I mean, if you look at the Democrats, it's it's 53% thought it was definitely true. The allegations, 36 probably true, and we had 5%. Two, you know, two percent probably false. Three percent. Uh, Definitely false. So 95% of the people that voted against Moore thought the allegations were likely true. I still think it's problematic that it took these—I mean, the allegations are awful, but the man who openly defined the, defied the Constitution twice and had to be removed from office— By Republican judges. By Republican judges who was going to have to stand and uh, make a pledge to uphold the Constitution in order to be uh, seated as a senator. I, I don't get that. I just don't get that. I don't, I don't get it either. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Stephen Rowe, Ben Crosby, and Charlotte Donlin. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. But... Uh, well, and also... And he can't ride a horse. He doesn't know how to ride a horse. Homosexuality, criminal. Yeah, he doesn't know how... Yeah, you know, many... He, he, he's against all the amendments after the 10th. And the man who, he spends, who didn't openly campaign the last week of the election. Who does that? But this is another thing. We, well, this might be an hour-long podcast, but that's the other thing. This is something they were talking about on the 538 podcast. I think it's interesting. Like, to what degree... You have, like, people like Muhammad Ali, right? Completely unconventional champion. Right, like okay, wow, okay. The way, okay, <laughs> the way, the way, the, the, the way that he went, me went about boxing, his style, well, right, right, okay, right. did not after he retired did not really change boxing. It kind of went back to no, he was unique. He was, right. Yeah. So like this is I, I forget who it was that made this analogy, but thought about I mean, it might have been David Frum or somebody, but that is Trump somebody that changes the game 
Or is he someone like Muhammad Ali that comes in, wins the wins, and then the game goes back to normal? And I think some of the Roy Moore, the, the Trump kind of copycats, and you could you could argue in to some degree that couldn't you that Roy Moore is a copycatish kind of. Yeah, it's kind of like that Roman emperor that was a male prostitute uh, from from he was I think Arab and he was a male prostitute part of a cult and they tried that once and they go let's not do that again. Right. I mean, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Do you, like, I wonder how much that the this kind of ban in populism. Well, we definitely have the guy the the felon from Staten Island who's re, who's running again. I mean, I, I keep wondering at what point does does uh, do people just realize Bannon doesn't know what he's talking about? I mean, that's that's. Uh, I mean, eventually it's, that has to people. It's like uh, you know Joe McCartney. Eventually, people will say, "Hey, this guy is, is is crazy." I mean, we should stop. No, that. but he's the ultimate example of fake it till you make it. I mean, like on on one level, like if you just talk like you know enough, I it's weird. People like treat him like an authority. Well, right, right. By the way, can we quote? So uh, they they did Rasputin as well. <laughs> I don't. I, I, think, yeah. I think Rasputin, that's a real insult to Rasputin to put him in. <laughs> the, man, put he and Trump in, are right, bad right. in the same. All right, excuse, all right. Any of you descendants of Rasputin out there, we've, we ask for your forgiveness for comparing Steve Bannon to Rasputin. So I want, <laughs> I want to just quote, uh, uh, oh, where's French? Where's French's feet? I, uh, I yeah, quoted you've this been, to you. talking about this all this day. Is, this is my favorite. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pull it up because French is... Twitter feed is so... Oh, I retweeted it so I can... Yeah, right. I'm looking at it for my own. This is such not good radio when I'm... Yeah, I know. Bill, I mean, fill the air, Bill. Talk about... Say something funny and witty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at, Bill, talk now. <laughs> well, let me get my guitar. All exactly. Right. No. But the, 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 uh, the long and short end of the tweet was... By like, the way, my son gave me a hard time for saying that I like Tom Petty maybe better than Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that's... I don't know. Well, that's, anyway, that's not that's, so that's, that's a, not a credible opinion. Ah, uh, well, no, that was my musician son, so it was credible. But anyway, I mean, I'm saying your opinion was not credible. Oh, my opinion was yeah. Okay. His critique of your uh, oh, opinion okay. is but completely you, credible. At the time, you were supporting me in that. I don't think I was. Yeah, I was just you trying. Were, you're I, the one suggesting. I was just trying to be likable. Like it's probably, I was probably oh, well, just going is, along. That is, that is, that'll be whatever level of hell you get into for, for trying that, to be likable. I'll be there. You'll be spinning around that circle. <laughs> this is from David French's. Twitter feed. Consider for a moment the magnitude of Steve Bannon's, gen Bannon's genius. Not every man can make an Alabama Senate race close. <laughs> Steve Bannon can. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it's amazing that like, I mean, Bannon, it's one of these people like he's self-made. He's, he's created a brand that people have bought into. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. What did you say? Uh, what, what's his, uh, yeah, he's an intellectual. He'll tell you so. <laughs> <laughs> this is, oh, and I'm looking at French's feed. Uh, David French, true order of culpability for this loss. One GOP primary voters, two more, three more, four more, five Bannon, six Trump. Only man who could have perhaps pushed more from the race. <laughs> he was responding to someone who was saying Bannon is less comfortable. Um, and then here's, here's another. Oh, this is Charlie Cook, who French has retweeted, who's on MSNBC a lot. Bannon is a non-falsifiable theory. If he wins, he's right. If he loses, he's he's right. If his guy prevails, his finger was on the pulse. If his guy goes down, he was sabotaged. In a few months, he'll be wandering at a park muttering about the kulaks. Yeah. One of the funniest things is I thought was that uh, when in one of his speeches, he was saying how Donald Trump always has your back, the man who fired him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, when he was down there stumping for Strange, was like, but I like Roy Moore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't, you know, it, I don't think it's probably the, a great idea to 
when you're campaigning in Alabama to insult the academic uh, standing of the University of Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so anyway. And uh, Charles Barkley also. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, although Charles Barkley is a, uh, he has very interesting insights on a lot. Yeah, of no, he, he, I think you're right. I mean, he does, and he has a yeah. kind of, he's, so, Okay, so there we go. The Bannon thing we've dealt with, the Trump thing. It's very interesting, too, because now I, Trump's um, was like underwater, or dead even, right? Like approval, disapproval in Alabama, or 40. Yeah, that's, that was, that was the mo- one of the most amazing things, yeah. that he's underwater in Alabama. So uh, will Trump be president at the end of 2018? Yes, I think so. Mm. I, I, I think I, he'll, he'll, if he's gone, he'll be gone by his own volition. Yeah, he'll resign if he resigns. But I, I, I think the— Or, or whatever's going on well, with him. I mean, he— or medically, whatever goes on going on with him medically. Yeah, may, uh, that's true. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I mean, it's, it's a tough call, I think. Yeah. The other thing, too, I think that is interesting about this election is what will Doug Jones do? You, you, you're you sort of—you're kind of a lame—you have two years. If I were him, I would just break every convention. I would really be a disruptor. I would go and I would I would spend time with constituents. I would demand we read bills. Like I would I would be a I would be an integrity good government. I would Wait a minute, su- you're just saying integrity good government. That's that's being disruptive. Yes, that is <laughs> disruptive to the system. All right, I got I'm going to serve my constituency, uh try to pass that legislation and be a good senator. I mean, this could How be radical Mr. Smith be? goes to Washington. I it mean, you really be, could yeah. be. I mean, you really here's a guy who by all accounts is a really decent person. Yeah, a decent person. I mean, he really yeah. sounds like a good person. Yeah, I love this piece. I've been waiting for this all my life, but I don't know what the hell to say. Yeah, right. Now, exactly. I mean, yeah. I was, that was honest and rich. It really was a rich moment. I tell you, one of the the uh least classy concession. Well, it wasn't a concession speech. What did you listen to what Moore said when he got up? It was it was awful. No, I didn't see it. What it was Moore awful. Said. It was awful. What did he say? I mean he got up there and said, We're gonna check out and see if this really happened and you know, it was just mumbled and I think he was in shock and he's also it wasn't gracious. We'll just say that. He was gonna they were gonna check out with the uh Secretary of State to see if they're gonna maybe there was something done wrong. Well was, Grace doesn't come to mind when I think of word association, Rorschachish Roy Moore. No, and, and actually, that may be the most fundamentally flawed part about his Christianity. I mean, if Christians can disagree about a lot of different things, and we have forever, and we always will. Um, and you could say this, again, you could say this election was largely a dispute among Christians as to what public life would be like. I mean— it, Yeah, there was a, certainly— The a vast majority of people that voted yeah. were Christians. Yeah. And so the question is, is do, you, do, you see, do you see gracious life— and language and activity and ideas in a person. I mean, again, I, I think the fact that people make mistakes are flawed, have wrong ideas change. I mean, that's, you know, all of us have had ideas that we have changed our minds about, okay? Um, but, you know, the one level, if he's a person of integrity and he's taken stands that are against, you know, he thinks the Constitution is wrong, okay, which as a Christian, I think you have a moral obligation to oppose a government you think is wrong. But, then don't keep running for something you don't believe in. I, that's that's where the integrity problem is. And I think, and then don't start a charity and take a huge salary and never do anything, which he also did. So, I mean, he's not the only person that, that does that, i.e., you know, the Trump Foundation. <laughs> I would love to do that. How do I do that? All right. Well, uh, call, call it more. He's got some time. Sarah Palin kind of, I mean, she, she took him, her super yes, PAC, Sarah, right, and yeah. just created. There's a lot, as a matter of fact, lots of people doing it. On that's all, another interesting thing. Well, call, call Bill and Hillary. Ask them how they do it. What happened to Sarah Palin? Like, she, like, 
Don't don't ask. Don't, no, I'm just don't find that, her. Don't go find but her. She was like for a while. She was somebody that reliably could come in, especially in primaries and stuff. And I mean, you don't really. I mean, maybe she ran out of money. I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's okay. We leave her. Yeah. I mean, she was a big Trump person. She disappeared. I thought she's gonna get a job in the cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I thought that she's a ringer for that. But, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So. No, but I think getting back to it, there's a sense where, I mean, how, all right, let's say, you know, Christians disagree about all issues across the spectrum, okay? But what what is a fruit of, of somebody in public life that as a Christian we need to look for? And I think some that there's grace there. Somehow there's grace giving this. Yeah. That uh, whatever your convictions are always held with a kind of humility. You know what George W. Bush said in a recent dialogue with Bill Clinton? He said, you know, you law, you, um, you beat my dad graciously. Like you weren't, you, you weren't, um, arrogant in victory. And, and that, they, and, and they talked to him all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's why they became, he said that made space for a real friendship. Uh, well, yeah, I think maybe, you know, psychologically Bill Clinton's always been looking for a father. Well, that's somebody in an interview said, um, what's the first king that comes to your mind when you hear Hillary Clinton? He said, my sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I do think that that's, do we see grace? Do we see humility? <clears throat> do we, you know, one of the things I, and again, it was just a snippet, but it was heartbreaking. There was, and it almost was wrong to have the man on the camera, but he, this guy, you know, uh, middle-aged guy um, was talking about why he was against more. And he said, because of his stand, and he was not an articulate or sophisticated. Oh, the guy, oh, the guy who said, he was saying like his, his daughter, his he used da the word prevert, but he meant pervert. Yeah, and, but his daughter killed herself so had been a lesbian he said and he basically said i was i feel like i was partially responsible yeah. and i don't know as a christian regardless of what your position is on that issue the fact is that's real i mean the suicide rate among yeah gay lesbian trans folks is so high and i don't know how as a christian again and i i can understand why christians disagree on this issue you know i, I grew up with that kind of approach to the bible but how do you how do you not have compassion uh, when you see that kind of thing? I mean, that's you know, in terms of I mean, it's you know, again, Jesus seemed to reserve his anger for either one the disciples when they were messing up, <laughs> or two the religious establishment. By the way, they just key you know pro tip: if you're in a church where they're preaching a sermon where the disciples don't get it, and the pastor identifies with Jesus and not the disciples. New church. <laughs> yeah. Jim, yeah, Jim the, the biblical scholar Jim Edwards one time said, if you're listening to Gospels and identify with Jesus, you've identified with the wrong person. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I agree. I can <laughs> so, agree. No, I, I, so I think there's a sense where, um, and, you know, I, I think uh, I think there that might not be a bad, I mean, I, I can think of, you know, politicians on both sides of the aisle who in my, you know, over the years have demonstrated that, who may not agree, you know. Right, uh, right, yeah. But, but who kind of have a, um, a compassion and a graciousness and a, and a humility. Again, you have to have an ego to run for office. You have to have an ego to do anything in the public life or to do anything in art or on one level, if you're a master carpenter, you better be pretty confident about that. But I do think there's a sense where when it comes to forbearance to other people, and I, again, we kind of alluded to this. Um, again, I, I think we have to be careful as Christians with our, our rhetoric. You know, I, I talked about the trial of Meister Eckhart last night. And By the way, on the What Medieval Theologian Are You, I came up as my, Meister Eckhart. Did you really? Yeah, which shocked me. Like, well, that's, 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 that's great. I, I mean, not that I'm not an admirer, but I just yeah, thought, that's that's I thought that said um, more about the tests and adequacy than me and my, my strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could be. But, um, 
any rate, you know, and I think we've we've used this quote before. He said, um, "I can I can be an Arab, but I cannot be a heretic because the former is a sin of the intellect, but the latter is a sin of the will." In right, other words, right. so I do think we have to be careful. We can criticize people's ideas. Okay, and I think it's okay to and say, often do and frequently. It's it's one of my favorite recreational activities, <laughs> but we have to be careful. It's one thing to say that's not a Christian idea, or you can say that's an antichrist idea. Um, but you have to be careful when you start imposing, um, you know, kind of the identity. If you can start calling someone not a Christian uh, or not a person of faith or integrity, I think that's that's problem. That's a bit problematic. Yeah, I think it's even hard to criticize a person's ideas uh, like critiquing the person. I mean. I mean, well, you and I talk about that, too. But it's an ideal, but I mean, oftentimes that's the people— part, that's, That's like I said, that's what's wrong with our time. It's what's wrong with your generation. I'm blaming your generation. I just think psychologically, if you talk negatively, if you think a person has lots of bad ideas, it's hard to think that they're really—I'm not critiquing them, though. I mean, I, yeah. maybe you, maybe it's possible. Well, I think it should be because there's a sense where I think we should hold things loosely. I mean, that's part of the reason it's hard to have an intelligent conversation with people because everything's so personal. See, that's the thing. Well, I think if you can hold things loosely— crazy, by the way. It drives me crazy, by the way, in seminary. Well, all right. All right. I mean, but I think you're probably right. I mean, I think that part of the thing is the people that tend to critique ideas most, right, are people that hold them the least loosely. Like if you're somebody that's constantly critiquing ideas, you're somebody who really cares about ideas and you probably get more worked up when you critique them. And so, so I think it's funny that the people that actually could probably do it best are people that are least passionate about the ideas. Right. No, I think there's a sense where, I mean, you know, it's funny. You and I have taught, I mean, when it comes to where you and I are theologically, it's hard to say in a lot of ways, but we tend to take a middle ground on a lot of stuff. And I, I mean, I take whatever grant path is least convicting. <laughs> no, it's not true. I'm, that's, yeah, no, it's that's probably true. not you true. Have strong convictions. I have some convictions. You about have strong things. convictions. Well, I'm just saying, though, but I think maybe that's the, the, the person who, who takes it personal when you criticize their ideas. That's, I think, their problem. Yeah, but I'm just skeptical that because we're complex fallen messy people i'm 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 skeptical that we can i, I think it's an ideal that we have to strive for but i'm just i just think we're always are the the are the people that disagree with us often become uh not just opponents politically but enemies they often become i mean it's just hard to fight that drift i mean i think well, it that, is but unless you unless sorry right, i'm not your enemy i want but you put an eye out idea out there in the public sphere now again i'm not talking about you know uh you know, little Aunt Betty sitting in a Bible study at the corner of your room and they say something wrong and you just turn the full heat up on them. But I think people in the public square, if you put your eyes out, ideas out there, if you are some kind of pastor, theologian, or a Christian thinker, you put an idea out there, then it's fair game. No, I think it is fair. I mean, I, sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with and that. And the fact is, if we care about people, then, you know, and we think they're, they're, they're mistaken, then I think it's all right to engage that. And it's the same thing as you're, you're willing to give it out, you need to be willing to take it. Yeah. And be open to take it. I mean, that's the thing, you know, if you're going to do that, you know, we have to be equally open to be saying, well, all right, yeah, I'm wrong. And, I, you know, show me. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I'm just... I think it's it's uh I, again I think it's an ideal I think it's one it's hard to realize but I doesn't mean we shouldn't. All right, why don't we experiment? Strive. That's called that's called Fitch up and just I, <laughs> I love Fitch. That's just but let's just do experiment. We yeah, could put we, we could type some sort of uh, meter thing. on him exactly and, and start attacking his ideas and, and measure and his blood pressure. Yeah, I yeah I have a soft Jeff. Spot. Would you wire, wire exactly if Jeff's watching? Jeff, would you go wire your colleague up? We have an experiment. This is science, man. And um, we want a grant. I said, this is my other thought about the election. Like, so, 
Steve Bannon today, of course, was kind of... We're going to need a brain sample. <laughs> Bannon was saying he's kind of as a backhanded... Well, he was saying he was giving credit to the uh, Democrats for doing a turnout um, project. And so basically, that was a thinly... It was a thinly veiled backhanded slap at the GOP. You know, they, you guys didn't turn out the... Uh, it's never Bannon's fault. Uh, no, right? it really was. All you voter repressors out there, you didn't do a good enough <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah. But so I think about this, though, that, that this is one of the things. So I was thinking about the whole Doug Jones thing, and, and, and you could be a different kind of senator. Are you, you guys get, related? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Who knows? Uh, that you could be a different kind of senator. I, I wonder why you think about people that are incredibly innovative today. Mm -hmm. And we live in an innovative age in America. In certain areas. Yeah, in certain areas. And America has an innovative economy. I mean, different than, say, Germany, which still has a decent manufacturing. I mean, we we're, we have a kind of entrepreneurial, innovative mm -hmm. economy. It's interesting that it seldom touches our politics, where you, even like Trump, like where he didn't spend as much money, he kind of cashed in on free media. But I, I feel that, like- That was an innovation. Right. But I don't know if it's replicable. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's rep replicable and, and it's just kind of his personality. He was just right. good at free media. But I wonder like why. So you think about like it, it's sort of fixed and determined now, like almost. And it's probably there's probably some truth to this mm. prediction, right? That in two years, this seat will be probably taken by a Republican. Yeah. I mean, Doug Jones will probably run for election, I think, and he'll probably lose. Unless he, you know. He has, a, but he has an opportunity to overperform, but sure, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's interesting. Couldn't, why, you know, our demographics destiny all the time, and couldn't, you know, you, you think like a dead heat, right? Ten people in a room, it's a dead heat. You know, you change one mind, it's a landslide. Six to, you know, six to four, is, you know, that kind of thing. I wonder why we don't have people in politics that aren't more creative, that aren't more, I mean, you know, why don't, I, I, but isn't, I don't think that's a skill set. First of all, I don't think it's a temperament that does well in the kind of to, to govern to get to the point where you can govern. I think creative people don't have would not have don't have a lot of patience for all the grunt work you have to do to get elected. To get elected is just a lot of grunt. But work. I think though, even getting elected is a, is a space for creativity, like media, I, like no, I, I mean, no, but organizing, like why why wouldn't you just put all your money into like constituent services for like a couple of years and just. Get to know every single one of your really figure out how, how you can make their lives better. You're con you're thinking what drives a creative person is the same thing that drives a person who wants power or a person who wants to serve the public. I I, I think I think creative people you know I, occasionally you get them, but I I think that um, I just don't I think it's a skill set and a mindset that that governing is not that conducive for. And you can almost say that even the very nature of the whole thing. I'm and take out the cynicism and all the other stuff. I mean, what I, would we have left? <laughs> the very nature of governing is compromise. Yeah, it's slow. It's deliberative. It you know, and I I think. A lot of, I mean, a lot of creative people don't do well in school. They don't color in the lines very well. They often are the ones who are fighting with their bosses. So I, I, I just think it's, I'm not saying there haven't been creative, innovative people over the years who have ended up in government. Uh, it's just uh, not, I, I just, it's just not the function. I mean, for, um, you know, I mean, how often are creative people frustrated in ministry, for instance? Because so much of your creativity has to be, you're, you have to, get consensus, you have different people who have different needs. And, you know, I used to, I mean, one of the reasons I usually even still helped out with the youth group stuff when I, even as a senior pastor, because I, I got to do creative stuff because that's a lot yeah. of, a lot of leading, governing, managing, administrative work 
is just work and it's it takes you know a different kind of skill set and so skill set so i i you know and i don't know you know it'd be nice to have some new ideas out there and you know even historically new ideas almost always happen somewhere else and somehow got taken into governing by you know different ways so i you know maybe maybe it's okay um you know we need we need thought leaders somewhere but maybe you're never going to get them um well, you know, you rarely you're rarely going to get them in, in government. You ever see the movie Dave? Yes, mm-hmm. where the, he plays the double for the president. Yeah. He plays the, and, he, and he becomes president. Yeah, Kevin like, Klein. Well, right? Yeah, Kevin Klein. Yeah, if you want to, uh, if you want this program, you're going to have to find the money. Fine, find it in the budget, and he gets the whole cabinet. Okay, do we need? The, he goes through the whole budget. Do we need this? Well, I guess not. Or, it, and I mean that, like that. If I were Doug Jones, that's I would, I would be the, I would be, I would become the new line of the Senate. If I were him, yeah. or he could, I mean, he's got two years where he could like. I hope it goes what does better. he have to lose? I hope it goes better for him than the last line of the That's sentence. true. Well, yeah. I mean, but what? I mean, rest in peace. What? What? I mean, what does he have to lose? I mean, the, uh, no, I, I think he's a public service kind of guy with a conscience, and I think he will. I wouldn't be surprised me if he, if he's, if he's who he seems to be. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I, I guess finally, you know, one of the things where our motivation was, and we started with this, we want to end with this. I mean, we we want to thank. Uh, people in Alabama who I'm sure, you know, that it was, has been a difficult um, month there. And uh, we want to thank the people who, who had convictions and, um, and voted against someone who would be a bad senator, regardless of what he's done wrong. He would have been bad for this country. And you put in uh, someone who I think has potential to be a a higher quality, yeah, fundamentally decent, uh, better than human being than, I mean, than yeah. uh, many who are, who are there now. So, um, and I also, again, uh, it was people working out of their Christian convictions who helped elect Senator Jones. Senator yeah, Jones. and I mean, I think that again, that's the untold story. That yep. this was this was not the sort of. Uh, the, the, you know the the left versus the values. Right? These these are two groups of values voters. Yeah, and now I'm, I'm I've been convicted by some of you, said Scott. So if anything I've ever said has offended any of you out there, if I've as I've attacked the list will as be too, it'll be too long. It will be too long. As if I attacked your, it will be too long. I want you to know that. On behalf of both of us, Scott is sorry. I am. I am. I, I reach out with the deepest. Sense. Yeah. So, and I, I hope we have um, more generous politics in the future. It yeah. Seems yeah. like a particularly. We certainly will dark. pray for a better year in 2018. I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> but again, Bill's memoir. Cheer up. The worst is yet to come. <laughs> hey, 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 what's happening, brother? What's up? This is a hey, big party, man. Yeah, brother. Like Mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. don't need to escalate You see, war is not the answer For only love can comprehend You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and get here today 